is this is a football podcast, man. Meat, football, good. Man, we talk football. We eat burgers. <laughs> Almost week 10 of the NFL and fantasy football season. This is a solo pod. I'm Josh Johnson, your host on this, the 101st episode of the Fantasy Brothers podcast. I, I honest to God, cannot believe it's been 101 episodes. Um, we started this thing in my mother-in-law's basement with Ben. Just two guys that texted each other way too much about fantasy football we needed an avenue to get out all the stuff that we were talking about far too much. My wife said, start a podcast. And I said, okay, all right, we'll do it. <laughs> and here we are, 101 episodes into it. Uh, we greatly appreciate all the support, everybody tuning in. Uh, if you're here from Instagram, if you're listening on audio or watching on YouTube, subscribe if you're on YouTube, hit that notification bell so you can see when we go live. All the regular episodes, we go live on YouTube with those. If you're listening on audio, leave us a rating, a five-star rating. Leave us a review. That genuinely helps us out so much, and we greatly appreciate it. This one's a mailbag episode. I went on Instagram and asked for some non-start-sick questions. I'll do this periodically throughout the season just to... You know, sort of shake it up, maybe talk about some new things that I haven't thought to talk about in a regular episode, uh, maybe dive into some stats that I haven't looked at thus far and different things like that. So starting things out, we're going to just popcorn this thing around. Aaron on Instagram asked straight up, what's up with QJ? What's up with Quentin Johnston? And... The short of it is I have no clue. The long of it is I think I know what's happening, but I'm in denial about it because Quentin Johnston has been horrendous. He has one week over 20 yards. One week over 20 yards through nine weeks so far. I don't need to tell you that's terrible. Um... There was really nothing we could point to up until week eight against Chicago when he went five for 50. And honestly, that that was like, oh, wow, okay, there's signs of life. But then uh, this past week against the Jets on Monday night, he played 83% of snaps after news came out that Josh Palmer was put on IR. So Quentin Johnston was the wide receiver two. He played 83% of snaps, which was a high thus far in the season for him, and he just did cardio. It was three targets, two catches, 14 yards, no touchdowns, 3.6 PPR fantasy points. So the short of it is, I don't really know. I don't know what the deal is. I, I don't know why this guy has done absolutely nothing. The long of it is, he's probably not good. Um, one of the predictive stats that I tend to use for figuring out if a receiver is at least going to be serviceable is yards per route run. And Quentin Johnston currently has a 0.86 yards per route run. For context, last year, Chris Olave had a great yards per route run. It was above two. Generally, the 
I think the barometer, at least in my head, for if a wide receiver is going to be good or not, uh, trying to project off of their rookie season, if you go like above a 1.5 yards per route run, you're sort of, you're, you basically are in an area where we can, we can keep trying to figure out if you're going to be any good. Like if you just don't hit that bar of 1.5, you're left for dead. And that's where Quentin Johnston is right now. The only player I can think of in the history that has ever had a sub 1.5 yards per route run and turned into a stud is Devontae Adams. And that story is well documented, how he just came in the NFL, was not ready, but then figured it out and turned it on and became the Devontae Adams we all know and love. Short of that happening, Quentin Johnston looks like a flat-out bust so far. So, I don't know what's up with Quentin Johnston. I thought he was a lot better than this, than what he's putting on tape right now. They do have two pretty decent matchups coming up against Detroit and Green Bay. Uh, but, like, if we're honest, nine weeks in and there have been zero flashes of excellence... It's probably not going to happen for Quentin Johnston. So, Aaron, what's up with QJ? I don't know, but he's not producing for fantasy. And at this point, he hasn't produced. I'm not counting on him to produce in the future. Uh, another question here from Corn uh, TRTL. I don't know how to pronounce that, but uh, my man, you dropped several great questions in here that I'm going to try and get to in this episode. So first one here, will the Jaguars pass game catch up to their run production? Interesting question, because I think this is a bit of a, a perception question more than it is a reality question, if that makes sense. So we're looking at the Jaguars as being much better running the ball than we are passing the ball. And yes, Travis Etienne has been incredible. Um, no arguments from me there. The rush, the run game overall has been, you know, not top of the NFL, but Travis Etienne has been great, but he's also getting like all of the work. So it's sort of skewed a little bit. Like, you know, James Robinson a couple years ago was on a bad offense. Their run game as a team wasn't awesome, but James Robinson got every single touch and therefore he was good. So that's kind of what's happening with, with Etienne. So is the Jaguars run game like, Unfreaking believable. I mean, it's pretty good. For example, um, but it's all it's all it's volume. Like they are number eight in rushes per game in the NFL right now at 29.6. By contrast, they are 16th in passes per game at 34.4, 14th in pass yards a game. So they're basically a league average pass offense right now, slightly above league average, maybe. And then if you go look at the touchdowns, the way they've split out, they have nine passing, nine rushing. So it's an even split down there with the touchdowns and the run game is top 10 and the passing offense is slightly above average. And what that turns into is Trevor Lawrence, because of our expectations, is a bit of a disappointment. Calvin Ridley hasn't really been super great. And ETM, because he gets all the work, has been really, really good. So to answer the question, will the pass game catch up to the run production? I don't think so. I think they've found a formula that will win for them, and that is being a lead on the ground and being competent in the air. And last year, I remember there were much several games where they had to pass to get back in the game. 
where they would be down uh, and they just had to turn it loose and throw the ball a ton. There have not been many of those game scripts this year. And I don't know that this is going to be a team that gets down in a ton of games going forward. So I don't know that they're going to be in those down bad. We got to throw it game scripts. So is this past game going to all of a sudden turn a corner and be elite down the down the stretch? I don't think so. I don't think it's going to have to be. And so I think they're just going to keep rolling with what they've got, what they've been doing and uh, and just keep it going that way. Another really solid question here is Chris Olave, this year's Cortland Sutton, in terms of elite air yards without the production. This is interesting because Olave has crushed it in the air yards department. Uh, he has underwhelmed a little bit in the production department. He's currently the wide receiver 19 in PPR. This is following a stretch of three straight games where he's yet to cross 60 yards. The thing with Chris Olave is that he's getting a lot more targets than Sutton ever did. So, you know, he's at 85 targets through nine games. You can do the math. That's almost 10 a game. He's getting a lot more targets than Sutton ever did. I mean, Sutton was getting like seven and a half targets a game and Chris Olave's getting north of nine. So... He doesn't necessarily need to hit on all of these opportunities that he's getting. Like he's just getting enough volume that in the end it'll sort of come out a wash. And he does have uh, three games above 95 yards. I think with the target volume, with the flashes that we have shown of him being really, really great at times, it's going to figure itself out at a certain point. I mean, he does have only two touchdowns as well. That doesn't help. He's got a score. He's got a score, and some of these deep bombs that Derek Carr is chucking his way that haven't been working, I mean, they're going to work eventually. In the past three games when he hasn't had above 60 yards, he's had 15 targets, nine targets, and eight targets. He's still a focal point in the offense. It Just some of these plays haven't quite worked out. Rashid Shahid, by contrast, has worked out on a few of these bombs. And so you feel bad a little bit because you see Rashid Shahid getting all these big plays and Chris Olave is not really benefiting from all these big plays. So I don't think Chris Olave ends up being a Cortland Sutton type of guy where we look at the what could have been and, uh, and we sort of feel like he let us down the whole year. I think at a certain point with these... With this target volume, with the lack of touchdowns, these things tend to regress to a mean. And I think for Chris Olave, he's going to score a few more times. Some of these plays that look like a near run thing where it just almost works if there was, you know, this one little thing or that little thing that would have worked out. I think those things will eventually work themselves out and he'll end up in a, a you know, a top 15 wide receiver sort of thing. Andy asks, how long does Arthur Smith last in Atlanta? Is he mismanaging his roster? What a loaded question that is. If you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you will know that we are a very staunch anti-Arthur Smith podcast. We do not like him whatsoever. And the reason why we don't like him is the mismanagement of the roster, at least how we perceive to be a mismanagement of the roster. 
Uh, let's do a, a just a quick little study in this. This is a microcosm of the whole issue. So Bijan Robinson versus Tyler Algier. Uh, currently, Tyler Algier has 116 carries to Bijan's 103. Yes, that is not a typo. But with those 103 carries, Bijan Robinson has 517 yards. With Algiers 116 carries, he has 371 yards. That comes out to a yards per attempt for Bijan of 5.0, and for Algiers, it's 3.2. Uh, Bijan Robinson has five 20 plus yard runs, and Tyler Algiers has one. Algiers has three touchdowns, Bijan has one. The. I think that uh, Arthur Smith had a quote this past week where he was talking about how, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but it was how valuable Bijan was to his offense as a decoy. How having him on the field but not a focal point of a play sort of frees things up because other teams are focusing on Bijan because they know how good he is. Apparently, Arthur Smith is not aware how good Bijan Robinson is because he's been clearly better than Tyler Algier on a per carry basis and just for whatever reason has never turned him loose. I don't understand it. It is truly one of the most baffling things in the NFL so far this season because it's different from the Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery situation. Obviously, Jameer Gibbs and Dave Montgomery are two very different players. They play different roles in that offense. And to a certain extent, Bijan and Algier do play different roles as well. But Bijan is a is a back that's very capable of handling a three-down workload, unlike, I guess, the assumption with Gibbs is he's not super-duper big, so you let Montgomery, who's 235 pounds, handle the load. I get that to a certain extent. Bijan is not a teeny tiny little 199 pound guy. He's 215 plus. And he's done it in the past game. He's got 28 receptions for 197 yards and two touchdowns. He's doing it on the ground, five yards a carry. I don't understand. The other part of this is I think the usage of Janu Smith over Kyle Pitts. And this one just gripes my butt for a lack of a better term here because Kyle Pitts is the sort of player that should be getting roughly 10 targets a game and I know Drake London is there as well he should get his too but Jonu Smith is consistently getting far too much work far too much work I mean uh, this past week it was five catches for 100 yards and a touchdown so far this year, he has 34 catches for 400 yards and two touchdowns, while Kyle Pitts has 32 catches for 389 yards and one touchdown. And it's not that Pitts hasn't been good. That's the thing. He has been good on a limited workload. He's only got 53 targets through nine games. He's only got one game above double-digit targets. In that one game, he happened to go 7 for 87. It's just a lack of usage that I think it's it's baffling. And the 
the weird usage of the running backs is weird. I, I just realized I said the weird usage is weird. We get it. It The Falcons are a very bizarre team in that they've got all these guys that they drafted incredibly highly that are not being used to their full potential. And it, it drives us all nuts. So how long does Arthur Smith last in Atlanta? That part I can't answer. Is he mismanaging his roster? I say yes, because he's got these elite players that have shown that when they are allowed to um, open things up, they produce. But for whatever reason, Jonu Smith and Tyler Algier are players that he's in love with because they're grinders or something. And just refuses to unleash Bijan, to unleash Kyle Pitts, two guys who are elite talents of their positions. I don't understand it. I probably never will. I don't get it. Um, let's see here. This one, this, this question was asked, I think, to basically give me a rock and a hard place situation to try and force an answer out of me. It says, if you were in three leagues... Would you rather three second place finishes or one first and two last place finishes? Um, I think we all know which way I'm going to go here. I would rather have the one first place, the one championship and two uh, bottom dwellers than I would three second place finishes. There is nothing more frustrating than finishing second place in fantasy football. Absolutely nothing. I would rather finish dead last than finish second. Because if you finish second, that means you had a chance to win and you came up short. And that's like the way fantasy football playoffs work usually is the regular season is just a trial run to get into the playoffs. Once you get into the playoffs, the regular season kind of gets thrown into the trash and it's just, can I survive one more week? Can I figure out a way to make it happen this week and then do it again the following week and then do it again the following week? And then you look up and you're the champion of your league. The regular season can kind of lull you into a sense of comfort a little bit. And if you're second place, likely you're one of the top three teams in your league. And being in that sort of competitive scenario where you feel like you've got a legitimate shot to win and you come in second, it's just brutal because those windows don't last forever, especially in, in a dynasty league. And it's it's probably more brutal in a dynasty league than it is in a redraft league because, like, do you have the personal attachment to your redraft roster that you do in your dynasty roster? No, not at all. So I look at this, I'm thinking of this more in a dynasty perspective. Um, and maybe in redraft, it's a little bit different uh, you know, you want to have the good teams. You don't want your redraft team to absolutely crap the bed. I get that. Uh, but short answer, I would much rather have the one championship than three almost. You can go ask Buffalo Bills fans what they think about that too. Um, yeah. Would I intentionally lose a game to seed six instead of five for a better matchup? <laughs> basically, would you throw a game at the end of the season to get a better seed in the playoff picture? Or 
not to get a better seed, but just to manipulate your matchup in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, no. Why would I not do that? Because I'm just not into not having everything above board. I think if you've got a team that can win, you want to try your darndest to win. At the end of the day, really manipulating your first round matchup, it's not going to matter all that much, to be totally honest with you. There's very few scenarios where there is such a significant drop between uh, two different teams where, you know, it's it's obviously a better matchup for me to play player A versus player B. You, I mean, you just try and win. At the end of the day, I just want to try and win. Mr. J Vant asks, what are your thoughts on trading draft picks forward or back a year in Dynasty to rebuild quicker? So I take this to mean like you're trying to stack more picks in any given year to kind of jumpstart a Dynasty roster. And I'll be honest, I haven't thought about doing this a ton, but I've stewed on this question a little bit. And so I have a couple thoughts. I definitely understand wanting to juice up on a draft class, but I think it really only works one way and not the other. Like if I were to try and take my 2025 picks and roll them over into 2024 draft capital, it's not going to work the same way as if I was trying to roll my 2024 capital into 2025 capital. Draft picks have a cycle of value where current season draft picks are always going to be more valuable than two years down the road because we just don't know what's coming two years down the road. Whereas like with 2024, we know who the prospects are. We have known for a little while. With 25, we don't really know what that draft class is going to be yet. So I think you can roll 24 capital into 25 because you can put a name to that 24 pick that you can't with a 25 pick. So in that sense, would I try and trade my 24 first that right now looks like a mid to late first for a 25 first that's a little bit more of a wild card and get something additional on top? Yeah. <clears throat> if I can get a second on top of the 25 first that I traded my, my 24 first for, I would be okay with doing that, especially in a, in, in a competing sense. Um, if you're in a rebuild... It's tough because you're attaching names to those 24 picks. Um, at the end of the day, with these rookie draft picks, you really just want good players. And yeah, I mean, if you have six 2025 first round picks, that obviously looks nice for your future. But like, you know, assuming Caleb Williams is Patrick Mahomes 2.0, Patrick Mahomes right now is at 28 years old and dynasty worth like four or five first round picks. Somebody would trade their entire 2025 draft class to acquire a difference maker like that. It's an interesting question and uh, I appreciate it. Maybe think a little bit, but I think at the end of the day, I will roll current draft capital into future draft capital, but it won't really work the inverse because the current year is always going to be the most valuable. Last question here, and this one's really interesting. How are you feeling about Alvin Kamara rest of season with the diminishing snap count slash Taysom Hill? I'm not all that concerned about Alvin Kamara right now. Taysom Hill has been really good, 
and he did out-carry Alvin Kamara this past week. But Taysom Hill has been a thorn in Alvin Kamara owners' sides for years. Years. I mean, I I have never benefited from Alvin Kamara, but Ben has. Ben has had him in the granddaddy of them all for years. And for, I mean, like, as Arthur, as Arthur Smith has become the nuisance that he's become, Taysom Hill was always the OG boogeyman for Ben. So this is nothing new if you've owned Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara is going to continue to produce the way Alvin Kamara always has with Taysom Hill being more integrated into the offense maybe than he has been in years past. At the end of the day, it's going to wash out. Alvin Kamara has been basically the RB2 over the past month plus in fantasy football. It's been Christian McCaffrey, and then it's been Alvin Kamara. If you look at everything in a vacuum, he's still a top five running back right now. The way the running back landscape has shaken out, there's only a couple that are really good, and there's a whole lot of guys that are okay, but they're not true difference makers. Alvin Kamara is a true difference maker, especially in PPR. He can garbage catch his way to 20 fantasy points like it's it's nothing. That's not going to go away, even though Taysom Hill is involved in the offense. The only way that that really hurts is around the goal line, which, yes, they're going to use Taysom Hill, but Alvin Kamara is going to be just fine. And especially with the way running backs are right now, there's only a couple that that really truly help you, and Alvin Kamara is one of them. Thank you guys so much for all the questions. I appreciate it, and I hope that the answers helped you out at least, uh, at least a little bit. Please make sure to rate and review the show wherever you're listening or watching. We appreciate all of you. I, I Still, I can't believe we've made it over 100 episodes. That's, that's mind-boggling to me. Uh, from where we started to where we are now, it's wild and uh we're extremely thankful we appreciate all of you and uh we'll see you here soon when we're previewing week 10 have a good one everybody thank you for listening to the fantasy brothers podcast if you enjoyed the episode and want to connect to us follow us on instagram at fantasy brothers underscore or on twitter at fantasy bros underscore if you want to support the show you can do that at patreon forward slash fantasy brothers